Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. I mean, good. yeah, I mean, we're, we're hanging out on the internet like friends usually do. Like, I, why bother meeting in person when you can do it with your computer? I know, right? Like, I feel like the majority mm-hmm. of my 20s was spent socializing through a computer, e- even though the bars were fairly nearby. But, I mean, actually, Nate and I, for those of you who remember, Nate is my older brother. For the For the... For the video program, they can see him, but for the audio, you're mm-hmm. just kind of going, what are they talking about? But Nate and I used to play an MMO together quite a bit, if you remember, Nate. Yeah. We spent many Several hours, of them, yeah. Yeah. Questing our way through uh, Lord of the Rings Online, hitting the, uh, what was that level called, where you had to go down to the bottom and fight the Balrog? Yes, yes. The Mines of Moria? No, no, no that, before that, the Mines of Moria. That came uh, later. This was like a, a raid dungeon that we would spend. We would spend hours upon hours playing, and uh, the fa- the fastest we ever completed it, it was the rift. The rift was what the it was rift. called. Yeah, and uh... we did it with like a dream team in like two and a half hours one night. But then there was another night where it took us closer to like ten, and it was just unbelievable how hard this thing was. But hey, what the hell are we talking about? Well, for those of you who pay attention to our social media. We're talking about The Guild, a 2007 web series that was created by Felicia Day, a name that is now very familiar to a lot of people, but wasn't mm-hmm. back then. I mean, guys, do you remember what you were doing back in 2007? Like, what? How, how did you spend a Friday night back then? Uh, 2007 was a part of my my odd year in Minnesota. So it really was either... Ooh. Like, it being nice enough to actually go outside and be comfortable, or, like, towing my friends on snowboards behind my truck uh, through the completely snowed-over streets, because you could do that for fun and likely not get caught doing it. That, that's what I was doing in 2007. That, that sounds too cool. What were you actually doing? <laughs> um, usually one of those two things, but with alcohol. And typically not the one where I'd be driving because that would be irresponsible. He was ogling the girls in the CS catalog. CS catalog. <laughs> <laughs> it was Vanity Fair and you know it. Doesn't deserve that shabby treatment. <laughs> See, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I know what Nate and I were doing. What we were doing mm-hmm. was we were eating like copious amounts of chicken wings and like delivery pizza. And we were camping out in our parents' library slash study and in, in their, their house that they built here. And... Nate had a, a dual video card 
like monster gaming laptop at the time. It's called mm-hmm. the Dell M1730. Yeah. With dual GeForce 8800 GTX. Obsessive. But I never got to use it because uh, Mark always took it first. So yeah, That's not true. I used to play on the Acer <laughs> occasionally. Yeah, Nate's like, hey, I own that computer, but I'm helpless to people taking it from me. Get off my computer already. <laughs> well, hey, what Felicia Day was doing in 2007, she was actually coming off of working on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she wasn't exactly a household name just yet. You know, like some of us who watched that show knew who she was, but it's mm-hmm. not like you could just walk up to somebody in the middle of the street that looked kind of geeky and went, hey, do you know who Felicia Day is? You know, so she was sitting on some downtime in between acting gigs and she was playing a ridiculous amount of World of Warcraft and I say ridiculous I mean I think I want to say it was like a full time job like at least 8 to 10 hours a day which I think is a healthy <laughs> amount but I think so that's fine mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah, fine as long as you get your stand hours in every now and then you know that, that minute where you drop your arm by your side you get that stand minute in yeah make it seem yep. like you get something. up and stretch things out mm-hmm. yeah yeah, you get cat litter back after a while. You know, like when your your hamstrings are just there's just they haven't been used. They're, they've atrophied at that point. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just a standard MMO stance. But you know, Felicia Davis is in her twenties. She's trying to figure out what to do, and she decides, you know what? I think I'm going to create a series by gamers for gamers. You know, let's let's tell the story that a lot of people haven't oh. quite heard yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which, for the time, they'll think about it. Like, mm-hmm. World of Warcraft had been around, you know, for you know, good good amount of time. I think it was mm-hmm. reaching in the tens upon, you know, whatever millions of of daily players. But this was before nerd culture really kind of shot off like a rocket, right? Like, we weren't sitting yep. there finding every favorite product we wanted to buy from, you know, the let's just say like well, the well we, were, we were doing it we were buying them but not everybody else was <laughs> yeah it wasn't widely marketed right like Mm-mm. geek culture nerd culture it just didn't really have a home quite yet and so that's that's kind of where this this comes out of this idea i mean it did but it was called g4 and not enough people watched it unfortunately <laughs> you know g4 was tech tv or they they, they had their own channel yeah also tech tv and then they got together and they ruined mm-hmm. each other, and now there's nothing. So, yeah, I think they yeah. became like Esquire Network after that, um, because I think whatever, whatever like conglomerate owns like the E Network is also owned G4, and then they just turned G4 into Esquire. Although G4 did recently come back as a uh, as like an online only thing. Like I think I I found them on YouTube, so they they do fun stuff still, uh, and I think like one of the original hosts came back full-time for it, and then, like, I'm yeah, I think Kevin Pereira is back, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. They, they couldn't get the other ones. They couldn't get, uh, you know, Sessler, no, no. Morgan Webb. Sessler comes back every once in a while. Um, but, more like, basically, I don't think any of the, the female hosts came back. That's fair. Yeah, which, yeah. think about it, guys. Like, even back then... Like, only it seemed like the most inner nerds knew about these stations, right? And even G4, to an mm-hmm. extent, was heavily video game-oriented, right? Like, it, it, yeah, I wouldn't even call it, like, a like a CNET type of thing, right? Like, I mean, we, we had some professional gaming well, stuff on there. They, I mean, they had this live streams of uh, the old Star Trek on it all the time, where you could actually comment <laughs> and have your stuff appear on screen. 
Yeah. So I like just... I, every five seconds, I would type in, you know, unlock the Shatner verse. You'd have to know what that is, <laughs> and it would show up on TV like every five seconds. Oh unlock God. the Shatner verse. For those of you <laughs> listening slash watching at home, in a in a state of grief, William Shatner, he he just refused to believe his own death in Star Trek Generations, and decided to write his own series of novels where he survived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the state of grief or like the absolute like ego that was will that like encompassed everything was William Shatner's like, no, 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 he, there's no way he actually died. Kirk wouldn't have died there. I'm going to make this right. <laughs> I'm not going to die on a bridge on some planet that nobody cares about. Yeah. yeah that was a tough time for him. While well, that French Englishman prances about in his starship. <laughs> Yes, well, yes. I, I, I think, and I, looking, looking through this, I'll just say, it was kind of the interesting part was is that there's a lot of things, when you, when you mention things that gamers know, mm-hmm. even in like major pop culture now, a lot of these MMORPGs had certain, not only certain tropes, but certain things that were familiar concepts to all of them. I mean, honestly, Mark and I were first real foray into MMORPGs was Final Fantasy XI, which goes back oh, yeah. to... Around yeah, 2003, 2002. 2004. Yeah. But the classes mm-hmm. in that are, are, you know, with a little bit of change are, are kind of similar between all of them. you got your, you know, your white mage, your black mage, your blue mage, your warriors, your your big tanks. Yeah, um, your DPS you got your healers and things. People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So every, you know, every single RPG kind of, MMORPG kind of built on that. And there's ones that, I mean, these are all concepts that were lifted out of, you know, pen and paper games. You're talking going back to D&D and before. They just, they just put them in an online world, so... Yeah, yeah, and, and the whole point was too yeah. at this point in time, even like that recognition of traditional RPGs as popular as things were getting in the MMO world, it was still way too niche, right? Or niche. Oh yeah. Some of you like to carry mm-hmm. that CHE, you know, <laughs> part of the word. Yeah, but yeah, do not yeah. forget about that accent mark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, well, hey, it's well, like quiche, whole... but niche. That's that's the whole point of the guild kind of getting made here, right? Was that because of this making a, a show by gamers for gamers, and yes, mm-hmm. it's too niche to an extent. Well, at this point in time, Felicia Day is, is kind of writing this, right, on the side, but she's also playing mm-hmm. video games so much that she's not completing the work. <laughs> so enter Kim Evie. And if you've ever watched the guild, you've seen her name uh, in the credits, Kim Evie was actually Felicia Day's writing instructor. And at the time, she was making uh, web content and producing her own stuff. And so she encouraged Felicia Day, hey, look, it's great that you love this video game, but you need to finish this. Like, put your time into this. And mm-hmm. if you guys, if you're a member in the beginning of the guild, she's kind of talking to her psychiatrist who's kind of like, lightly kicking her you know going stop playing the mm-hmm. game so much and actually live right that's based in 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 you know the real world kind of reality Evie. yeah yeah mm-hmm. and so kim Evie, Which, I mean, believe it or not is also voicing that psychiatrist on the phone <laughs> perfect so, uh, okay. yeah but yeah so, I mean, yes. what like like there it's like like nothing no better example of again kind of that 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 corner of of the market where the person writing the show is a gamer and she is too distracted with playing the video game to do any of her homework. 
because there are plenty of friends that I had when I went to Whitewater, but by plenty, definitely two, who spent too much time gaming and ended up on academic suspension because they did not go to class due to gaming. See, I had, a, I had a job during this time. I found out a way to play Lord of the Rings Online, even on a netbook. You got to turn all the settings <laughs> down to nothing and then get a booster for your video card that takes up extra battery. sit there in the corner of my desk on this tiny computer in the parking lot on a tethered connection trying to get a, you know, kind of get to do some raids and stuff and just getting blown away. <laughs> Which I, I, That's I, actually I, pretty reminiscent of a character from this, from the show. Was say, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just the same thing. Like blades is playing it while he's flipping burgers. <laughs> he's got the mm-hmm. laptop right there. Well, so a lot has... of times just click it in one spot or hitting the same button. So you could totally do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, well, I was even yeah. thinking like Vork, like playing out of his van in someone's driveway. Tough to do. It's a tough move. Yeah. And <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but ultimately, mm-hmm. though, that's where the foundation of this show kind of is, is that we're kind of workshopping things a bit. Felicia Day actually takes this project to like a group of, of writers, like women writers that she knew through the business at that point in time. And so they all kind of figured like, yeah, this is this is actually pretty funny. And it's a story that people haven't heard before. Like it's a pretty, you know, unique perspective. And so mm-hmm. that's where the idea to make it into a web series came from because Day had always figured this is going to be a 30 minute TV pilot and then we'll try to shop it around. Well, Kim Evie said, I produce my own show on YouTube. It's like the new thing. Why don't we do mm-hmm. the same thing to your pilot and dice it up into smaller sections? And that's what gives us the first season. So that's like, it, it feels like a chance encounter in a lot of ways that we even got this, right? And so my hat is tipped to Kim Evie. Thank you for doing that to, to Felicia Day and kind of getting her mm-hmm. on the right track. But yeah. So, yeah, yeah and I mean, this is like one of the more like early, like successful web series even comes out or it kind of almost like the dawn of the whole of that. I was going to say, I don't want to say genre, but like that, that method of actually getting your, your art or your entertainment or what you're trying to create out there with something that was more than just like a YouTube video that was like two minutes long, just had you laughing the whole time. It was more scripted substance. And this is, you know, kind of like the gateway into like the modern YouTube. It, it really is. I mean, mm-hmm. like this format is essentially when you when you boil it down, it's it's friends, but set in the world of Warcraft, right? Yeah. Like you, you've got mm-hmm. people that that are familiar with each other, not so much in the outside world, but eventually they do. And mm-hmm. so, Day's whole idea about this to make this idea really kind of pop, even on YouTube back then, was let's let's actually tell stories right now that are about gamers that we don't know and mm-hmm. use this platform because i think this is the most it's like the easiest way to get it to them right oh yeah so felicia day actually had this this good understanding and working with kim evie because i i can think about myself in 2007 my attention span was horrible back then like if you want me to sit down and watch something it's got to be quick it's got to be funny and let's move on Right. Mm-hmm. So either way, like that's that's where that whole idea came from. And the the format to adapt it into like the the vlogging, right? Like each episode kind of starts with her talking into her webcam at home. As you mentioned, Joe, the time of like 2007 and YouTube at that point in time, like vlogging was the big thing. 
Like, yeah. for, like we're, we're recording ourselves, and we're looking into a camera, tongue-in-cheek, because we're doing that right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that, was the, that was the rage. Like, if you guys remember back in, in like, the, the late, like, early 2000s, that was everything. Like, everyone was talking about Chris Crocker yelling about Britney and how we should leave her alone. Right? Yeah. Like, that's when that happened. I do recall that. Happened that. In, that happened in 2007. So, it took a while for people to really fully understand and monetize the format. I mean, it, today, oh, yeah. I mean, everyone's trying to start up a web show so they can get get their big YouTube or silver or gold plate up on the wall, you know, because you reach certain tiers and suddenly you've got, you know, an income stream coming in monthly and then, you know, the branch out of things like Patreon mm-hmm. to kind of get people ongoing support. Um, yeah. It was the same back then. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what the monetization was like back in those days. I don't, was it even a thing back in those days? I mean, I remember like other things like during this time, like I'm thinking, uh, you know, someone who actually ends up showing up in the show eventually is, uh, his name is me, but uh, Chocolate Rain. Um, oh, yeah, Tay Yeah, Tay Um Like he was, I think, huge on YouTube for his, for his videos. And I remember, if you recall the South Park episode, where they try and raise money so Canada stops being on strike, and they try to be internet sensations, and it turned out they couldn't actually make money off the internet yet because it was just, it wasn't a completely viable source for it yet. And that's kind of like where I, I took it away from that too. Is that, like at this point in time, like you can be like a YouTube star, but at that time, does it really mean anything? I don't think YouTube is because this is when YouTube is still completely free. There are no ads on YouTube. Uh, I don't think Google owns them yet, and I honestly don't know how you would have made money off of YouTube at this time. So there were some monetization things that were kind of going on at the point in time because uh, I do remember that it was like a strictly a views-driven thing. Like nowadays, you have to have X amount of subscribers. Uh, you have to have X amount of listening hours, and all of that factors into the monetization, you know, pyramid, right? And mm-hmm. the only way you can get around that is if you have a legacy account that didn't take into effect all these, you know, factors that they now do. So back then, it was a lot different. But there's a very important distinction about old YouTube versus new YouTube, in that the front page of YouTube now is like reserved almost for like musicians and you know the latest person to put out a short that you know they're whatever they're doing however little clothes they're wearing the algorithm picks that stuff up now and and features it there but in the early youtube days the like people developing it could actually pick out videos and go i love this and i'm going to put it on the front page like it's it's not the same anymore so it was kind of the old west you know that 2007 YouTube feeling. I kind of miss it a little bit, guys. Yeah, the old lawless internet and what it used to be before. Oh, come before on, money guys, set it in. You want lawlessness? You got to go back to the 90s. The stuff was crazy, <laughs> and then some some crack, you know, tin pot moron out somewhere had a page talking about conspiracy theories and a bunch of faded photos he took out there in the dark, and it was on like Area 51 of GeoCities. Uh, you guys, you guys oh are God. talking about the future by comparison. If you want, the, if, very if you true. want true old West, you've got to go to the 1850s. That's where true lawlessness lived. 
Yeah. Although if you do want a glimpse of the internet from that time period, I believe spacejam.com is still up and going from oh, yeah. 1998. You know, I've got a computer so, that, that that's still, they actually have a thing called a protoweb, uh, protoweb.org, where you can set uh, proxies on your browser to allow you to surf a bunch of saved pages in the way that it was intended to be done. So if you really want to go back and see the old stuff, I, I use it on my old retro computers to show the internet still working. Um Back when cheat codes Love were it. on like a page with no frames. <laughs> so. God, those are rough days, man. It's like, it's it's like, like that like, tiled repeating background behind it. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. And the guy mm-hmm. digging at the bottom to show how many visitors you had. You know, yes. Still under construction. Yeah. Single construction, dude. Of, yeah. <laughs> it was I, the I say, you know, by the toilet paper version of the internet. That's what it was. I'd say by the time that this show was out, I mean, I think the purchase of, if I remember correctly, the purchase or acquisition of YouTube by Google was actually about 2006. But yeah, it just, it hadn't been, I mean, even, even to this day, there's still a lot of prejudice against streaming services and it's kind of going away. Now you're seeing a lot of Oscar nominations going to streaming Mm -hmm. um, stuff, but we're talking about a, a, you know, a new and developing kind of thing. It really hadn't been monetized yet. And that's probably something kind of that was notable about this show was that I recall correctly, season one was crowdfunded. It's, it's oh true. definitely and it's, yeah. especially if you you can because you can still watch all this on YouTube if you look at season one you can definitely tell this was made with someone's like home home some sort of home video as opposed to uh, any like high production style uh, recording system. It, it's true because like we said before, Felicia Day was in her twenties. She hadn't actually been in a whole lot of things that were notable yet. She hadn't built mm-hmm. her media empire, you know, with Geek and Sundry and all that. So this was completely like a, a grassroots, you know, independently made production. And they filmed in Felicia Day's house. Kim Evie offered up her house so that they could have different rooms to shoot in. And, and so <laughs> there, there wasn't any like set dressing. It was like, that's what your room looks like. We're going to shoot in there. And that's kind of how the identity of the show continued. I mean, yeah, they got a little bit more money as, as it went. But in the beginning, no, it was like, we've got maybe like eight rooms that we can work with and we're just going to cycle people mm-hmm. in and out of them. And it, I mean, it, hey, it works. It worked really well. Yeah. You know? yeah. And um, I think the the whole idea of the show just worked really well, too. This idea, it's almost um, like we talked about uh, Batman the Animated Series and they talked about Batman um, uh, from the 80s. And Tim Burton's like, if we're going to make this work, we can't make the movie about Batman. We have to make it about Bruce Wayne. Uh, the show worked really well because instead of making it about like the gamers playing the game, it's about just them themselves. It's about the gamers and not the game itself. So when you when you watch the show, there's actually very little of them. I mean, I should say very little. There's a smaller percentage of them playing the game as opposed to them just kind of figuring out life together, uh, which is I think a, a pretty pretty great idea i almost uh kind of equated a little bit to like the league that fx made about the um like you know the group of friends with their fantasy football league but you rarely ever see them doing thing with it they just mention every once in a while you do get more interaction of of this group uh of of the guild actually playing the game than you do them playing fantasy football in the league but it's kind of that same idea where like their day-to-day lives and them kind of navigating all of their very different forms of social awkwardness together. Um, that is what takes center stage because this is kind of a fun way of showing um, 
how like when you you have gamers, a lot of people kind of go to that same idea of some some overlate portly dude uh, in their in their parents' basement who's never figured out life beyond that part, and that's just where they are. And here we get different versions of people who are you know in some way shape or form socially awkward and spend probably way too much time playing a video game but they're all themselves like unique from each other they're not that same weird shut-in who just stays in the basement because that's all they know they're awkward but it's all you know independently awkward from each other and you see that um in each character how they're individuals what's notable about the show i think is that the characters are actually able to meet in real life. Cause that's like the one part of it that we never had the opportunity to meet any of the people that we met out of mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings online. What I do know is that like four or five of them all worked at Shaw cable and they would up in Canada and they would uh, talk to us about like the dirty stuff that was going on. They talk across group chat about how so-and-so was caught sleeping with so-and-so or some guy had a, you know, hangover mm-hmm. this last weekend. And we just laughed about it. Yeah, because yeah, there was mm-hmm. there's like five or six that would play with us that way, and we were just the two American guys that were part of that particular like, guild. So, mm-hmm. and, then, and then we had one guy was it O'Donnellist or whatever that was the uh, the guy that yeah. had like twelve accounts and played nothing but this all day long. To the he yes. probably neglected his kids too. Well, hey, that's, that's I think that's why the guild instantly like made more sense to me was because even though you're not looking at stereotypes. In the show, you're getting people who represent what you typically think of when you're playing an MMO. And yeah, like mm-hmm. Nate just mentioned, you've got people who are probably neglecting their kids. You know, you've got people who are probably putting off maturity in their adult lives a bit to be there, which I'm not judging. I enjoyed MMOs and playing them. Like, there's a reason why I sunk almost 30 hours a week into it. But hey, whatever, you know? And and I think that's what the guild's core strength is, though. I know it may seem obvious, or the main characters, of course, you're going to focus on them. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they do get to meet up, so they go from, you know, this idea. And, and this is what I think is hilarious about this. When Felicia Day's character of Codex mentions to them, hey, guys, can we meet up? Like, they all have that, that mutual, the... like, confusion on their face. They're like... And one of my Why? favorite parts of this is... When uh, Jeff Lewis, who plays Vork, that you've mentioned, he's the he's like the elderly, like for, mid forties guy. She should say elderly, but like mid forties. And he goes, mm-hmm. "Well, I could, but I haven't budgeted for social activities this week." <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and and that's hilarious because you're like this this dude is exactly who I think of when I'm playing an MMO. Mm-hmm. He's like calculating everything down to the cent because everything goes into the game. My living expenses, mm-hmm. you know, are, are what they are. Oh, my God. When he talks about, like, a meal at a restaurant tanks half of his savings, and they're like, your share was $10. And... Brings, his own che- brings his own American cheese to defray the expenses. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. <laughs> cheese gouging? Oh, to this day, for those of you who haven't seen the guild, there there's a character of Vork that we mentioned who <laughs> is... He's living off of his deceased grandfather's social security checks. <laughs> and it's not so funny when you just say it like that. But the way that he spends the money, because he's such a cheapskate, there's this like legendary bit of dialogue that happens when they meet up at this restaurant. And he brings up the subject of cheese gouging, which is how <laughs> the 
the hamburger and the cheeseburger on the menu are separated by one dollar and he tells the entire group how one slice of american cheese costs 24 cents 24 and a half cents and that he will not be subjected to cheese gouging <laughs> oh my god it's just it's ridiculous uh. Or even like you, you find out like the because in season two you actually get to go into Vork's home more than just like the room you see him playing in from his webcam, and yeah. when you figure out that like that's actually the room where he's staying in is like in a shed that isn't actually his shed. He just kind of kept moving his neighbor's <laughs> fence three feet like every year until eventually it was just on his side of the fence and his neighbor has Alzheimer's so he never noticed. I think what's, what's crazy though is that I think there's two ways that people kind of enjoy the show based on mm-hmm. the kind of characters that were in it, which is it was both people laughing at gamers in a culture that they never really had a look into and see. And then you had a whole separate group, probably the people that enjoyed it the most or saw it first, uh, were people that actually, like, this was us. It's us laughing at ourselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. uh, Because, I mean, everybody in our group, there's always one person that, I mean, I'm not trying to poke fun at someone's income situation, but there's always someone that was just, like, scraping by to pay the $12.95 every month. And so you'd see them mm-hmm. like leave game for like an extra week or something because they couldn't pay it. And then they'd come back and they were like, oh, yeah, I just got paid. And you're like, this is a priority for you. You can't keep the Internet on, but like or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, seriously, well, it's it true, though. I mean, yeah. And like that's actually like kind of look more into like the really diverse group that you have here. Because again, I think it, again, shows how different gamers really are like Nate was even saying how like you you usually have that person who can't seem to really budget their life together and when you look at everyone here you've got like um Sid who's Felicia Day or Codex and she is this anxiety ridden uh person who can't seem to figure out life yeah former yeah. child prodigy now no mm-hmm. longer a child um yeah. and you've got like you know the the kid who's dominated by his mother and he has to feel like he has to do everything she says you've got this kind of pretty bad boy that's in there you can't Mm -hmm. just say kid because he has a name and it's zabu played by cindy parik Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. cindy parik i gotta mention him and jeff lewis that we've already talked about are like they were key characters that were specifically written like for them by felicia day and it was because of like their improv and their ability to just be hilarious and so the early seasons of this show, like, yeah, Felicia Day is the main character, but you can definitely tell that, like, the characters of Bork and Zabu, they mm-hmm. they owned the camera when they were on it. They just did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry they to absolutely you, did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that makes sense. I didn't know if you wanted to do, like, a big reveal of, of all their names, but no, that works. So we've got those, those two characters so far with uh, Zork, Codex, and Zabu. Uh, but then we also have Clara, who is um, a a mom and a very, very relaxed mother in her parenting duties. And she also uses her real name as her as her login name because she used to go by Mama Matrix, Mama yeah Mama Matrix. But then her kids saw it and they started using it in their daily lives, so she decided just to use a real name, which. Yes. Claire, Claire is great. <laughs> so Robin oh Thompson, who, play, who plays her, mm-hmm. just the way that she 
is like lackadaisical when her kids are like playing with appliances in the kitchen and she's got the gate set up and like they're like shaking <laughs> the toys and stuff or the shaking the equipment and she's just like mm -hmm. ah, yeah you're having fun like her her aloof yep. sense of like just letting that happen I, I i busted out laughing the first time i saw it it was just so ridiculous mm -hmm. but it felt I mean, like I mean, at one real. point oh completely and like the way she kind of like justifies it in her mind as though what she's doing is a good thing like uh she's like Good parents encourage their children, but really she's just kind of enabling them to do kind of bad and dumb things. Or oh, yeah. how at one point she says, like, oh, yeah, uh, my daughter wanted the pink kitchenette, so I just gave her the whole yellow kitchen, which is just their kitchen. <laughs> and she was, like, letting her, like, use, like, that electric, like, carver for turkeys. And this kid is, like, what, four like, to six years old, somewhere tiny, who should yeah. definitely not be operating that thing. Oh, oh she's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, dude. Well, yep. I... And that we've got. Mm -hmm. We've got two more after that. We've got um, Blades, who spells his name with two Z's, so you know how oh, badass he is. Mm -hmm. yes. Who is a former child model, I think. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, or but... is he still doing it technically in the show? <laughs> On the Te sides for a while. Yeah. Technically, he's was it Finn Smolders? Is that what his? Yes, is it... Finn Smolders. <laughs> which which uh, Vincent Casso, who plays him, by the way, like him and his sister actually got cast together on this show. So when they argue together in their scenes, like it's it's legit. Like that's just them being them. <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. he, I thought he played that role that Nate kind of talked about with the teenager that couldn't quite afford it, and so he's kind of shoestringing it to get by. Like mm -hmm. he he did that really well. Um, whereas, like we mentioned, Tinkerballo, who's played by Amy Akuda, she was kind of the opposite side of that, like the stuck-up, you know, uh, not really having to worry about working for this stuff, like someone else has got me covered kind of thing. And so they play I really mean, well off each other. Yep, and, and Tink does that in like the worst possible way. It's not like she has like rich parents who pay for all of her things. I believe at one point she says, uh, like... Um, Rob, Joe, and Jim might as well be called oil change, um, yeah. break job, and yeah. like rent or something because yes. she just uses men to get what she wants. And that's how she basically lives her life is she's just basically just convincing people to do things for free because she's cute. And that's, that's yeah. kind of how she she's kind of a man eater definitely is what she's going for there. Yeah. Well, she yeah, uses that to take yeah. advantage of Blades, so... That she does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an important point to kind of make here is that what I think people didn't realize when they watched this show when it first came out was that just because you have an idea in your head of what people behave like in an MMO, it doesn't mean that that can't translate into real life, right? Like the, the, the way that you kind of hold yourself when you talk to people through a game. And that's what this show really helped visualize is that yeah, a lot of you is still in the game. Like, you're not just a character, mm -hmm. you know. And so I think that was an important thing for people to, to see because I'm not trying to get too philosophical here because these are written characters and everything, right? It's meant to connect. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I think that was a really important thing to, to do because these characters, as they were, like, yeah, they're socially awkward with each other in-game, wouldn't that transfer into their actual in-person interactions? Yes, it would, I, and mm -hmm. it does. I, 
I think, though, that having an introduction to someone that you've talked to online, though, would kind of open the door for you to actually be willing to meet them in real life. Because uh, I, I, these aren't the kind of people that would come together naturally with the environments that they're in. This is the only point no. of social interaction they had. So bringing it out into the real world, I think, could only be bridged by having started it in the online world and also being close enough to each other that you could actually see each other, which, mm -hmm. again, that's that's so infrequent. <laughs> They just happen to all be located in like the LA area, which is you know very very nice for them. Mm -hmm. but that I could believe. Though. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they they quickly kind of write that off in season one when uh, when uh, Kodak is like, oh, we're a local guild, we can meet up. It's like a local sure. guild. Is that a thing? A local guild that 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 happened? Apparently, you know, it's, mm -hmm. today's point of of these people had never come together. Uh, that's that's really something I think is where the the comedy really ramps up quite a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. especially early on when the girls meet up and then the guys meet up and they kind of split off and do their separate uh, parties, quote-unquote. And mm -hmm. one of my favorite lines of this whole series came out, and once again, this is on the point of Nate saying that these people would never get together. It's when Vork is addressing uh, Zabu and Blades as they're playing cards, and they're talking about women. And he goes, That's women. Can't live with them. They won't date me. They won't date me. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best quotes of the show. And, and, and just as like you're sitting there going, they're they're building rapport, and this is starting to feel normal. Then you're re then mm -hmm. it, it pulls you back and goes, yes, these Oop. they're still not in in like real society. They're still just hanging out no. with nerds, mm -hmm. nerds and nerds together. Yeah, yeah. So and and with uh, like. Again, like that whole point that like there's no way these people would ever hang out if they weren't connected by this video game is also just a really great way of being able to tell a story because like like any good writer will tell you like conflict is what's going to build your story. It's going to keep people watching and listening and reading and wanting more of it. And when you have like so many people who are like this diverse from each other and there's going to be conflict whether that different and conflict of course like doesn't mean like they're hating each other at each other's throats constantly but like they're all their own weird nerd and they just don't know how to function with each other and that makes this fun conflict that you get in the show part of it is too is that you can create an online profile to where you're you're dominating in the online world I mean, mark and i used to play in a social world where people they were the boss of a big neighborhood where everyone would pay them rent every month and in real life, they were shut-ins that never left their house. And yeah. so, you know, it, it's it's kind of that you can be one thing there. And it's that's what's interesting about this is that I think, with the exception of one or two of them, none of them really had a whole lot going on in real life. Um, well, yeah. Exactly. They, they don't have life figured out. But in meeting each other and coming together, there are pieces of them that they can kind of share with everybody else that does help them solve some of these problems that come up. And, and right. Joe mentioned how, you know, Zabu has the domineering mother and he can't break free of her and, you know, enter Vork and, and some of, you know, his ability to confront her. I'm not going to ruin it all because, honestly, mm -hmm. it's like six hours of viewing. There's six seasons of the show, one yeah. hour piece. Like, you can it's get binge worthy. Fast. Yeah, this is it an is. afternoon mm -hmm. for It is. It's very binge worthy, yeah. So we're not going to ruin that. But, I mean, so that's, mm -hmm. that's one part of it. Uh, we talked about how Codex, like, has a psychiatrist and she kind of breaks out of that dynamic because she mm -hmm. meets friends and has meaning. Right. And so that's what I found really funny about this is that the longer you watch the show, 
the more these people fix each other, even though they can't fix themselves. And so it's, yep. it, it kind of gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling when you realize you're watching a comedy and there's this like heart that just kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. and, and by the end, and, it, like, yeah, hitch in the face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and another thing that you also get as the show goes on uh, is despite the fact that not only did none of the characters have a whole lot of money, and we said the show didn't have a whole lot of money, but we did get some pretty great star power in the show as it went on. I think we especially, did. I think it's like season season five is really heavy in it. Um, I actually like, got a great kick out now. They're at a convention in season five, and you get to see one bittersweet watching it like in retrospective you get to see grant imahara uh from mythbusters who passed mm -hmm. away um what two years ago now or was it longer i know it, it feels was, like it, it's yeah. too soon it's within yeah. five years yeah it was fairly recent mm -hmm. yeah too too soon gone gone way too quick and you have him at a convention and right next to him is brett spiner oh, yeah. uh brett spiner yeah. and like he's, he's spiders like shaking people's hands. hands. <laughs> it's sanitized immediately after. No pause. It's just, it's, <laughs> so the fan, yeah, the fan comes up to him and he signs the photo for the fan. And he's talking to Grant like as the fan's like right in front of him. And he's like slathering the sanitizer right in front of the fan. Like, yep, I know you just shook my hand. Your germs are gone. And, and like, this is this is like long before COVID, so that's why it's like such an mm -hmm. insult, you know? Like these guys yep. are just. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever been to one of those comic cons before, but like mm -hmm. sometimes you do get celebrities acting up a little bit because that's it's such a profit center for them, and mm -hmm. and so like they and they do a million of these things a year. I mean, I remember going to one in yeah. Kansas City where they had uh, Lou Ferrigno there signing autographs, and I tried to snap a photo of him from like a distance away. And he caught me, and he just starts, like, staring at me, like, I'm like, dude, Hope's going to come over and whoop on me. Like, he's, like, pointing at some guard or something like that. I already paid him five mm -hmm. bucks for a signature, but the picture was, like, 25. So I couldn't, you can't even take a picture of him without him, uh, without, without yourself in it, without paying That sounds him. about right. That was an important mm -hmm. distinction to make because at this point in time, I mean, Comic-Con was obviously popular. It was getting more and more popular as time went on. But think about the amount of people that actually got to go to Comic-Con. And so yeah. the, the understanding of, like, what celebrities could behave like there, like, you, you knew you were seeing a satirized version of a, of a celebrity, but it's still really, really mm -hmm. funny. And, it, and this, this oh, trope yeah. would, be, would be used in Alan Tudyk's uh, Con Men series. Like, they would, they would mm -hmm. really explore this quite a bit. Um, but to your point, Joe, yes, there are a ton of celebrities that appeared. And something that's important to mention was that these people were all based in L.A. And the first season of the show, when they do the parties and everything, kind of explains how these actors all networked and kind of got to know each other. And so in the beginning, yeah, it wasn't like A-list star power. Um, but do you guys remember the uh, web series Nuka Break? The Fallout fan-made uh, series that came out. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not familiar with that one. Mm -mm. If you don't, that's okay. But the the party that they throw in the first season, uh, a kid named Zach Finfrock is like the first person who comes forward, and he was the main character in the Nuka Break series. Like he's a prop builder, you know, he's an actor, and so in the beginning they were just saying, "Hey, people that we know and we've networked, you're gonna fill out the parties for us, right? We're gonna bring you in." And then as things got more popular and they get, you know, backed by Microsoft, Xbox, 
you know, and, and they're available on all the big platforms. Now you're getting all these other actors involved. So, yeah, to that point, Felicia Day had worked with Eliza Dushku before. That's how she gets gets her there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Nathan Fillion also shows oh up. Oh my god, um, <laughs> Nathan Fillion. <laughs> It's, the scene with Nathan Fillion is pretty incredible. I'm not, not 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 breaking down the whole thing, but basically, he is apparently a fan of some of the work that the guild members are doing, and through, again through complete like just social incompetence, one of the guild members basically blows Nathan Fillion off and tells him like <laughs> get the fuck out of here, and Nathan <laughs> Fillion is now like heartbroken visibly that he was told he can't hang out with these people, and as he walks away, someone's just walking with a stack of papers, and Fillion just. Smacks Slaps it down it. onto the floor, and just keeps going. <laughs> it's such a tantrum. Yeah. I just... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. oh my god! That that whole Comic Con experience and getting to watch mm-hmm. the actors, you know, play these versions of themselves, right? Um, I I want to give them kudos for that because we've seen some of that stuff before, but this mm-hmm. is really where I like I got that foundation for like some of these people behaving uh, eccentric or, you know, portraying these weird versions. I, I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I mean, remember, this is still early 2010s. Uh, yeah, it's, so it, I think it was definitely not a, not a time where, like, being able to poke fun at yourself or being a part of these things was really, like, socially all there. Like, I, like while, again, like, conventions are really big now, I don't know if at that point in time, like, conventions conventions were not like pop culture cool yet like it was definitely if you're a nerd and you want to go to san diego comic-con it was cool that you got to go and it's cool that you knew people who were there but like it's not not the level that it is now where like everyone like san diego comic-con is like a big like deal for everything i what i remember about this was that i think this was around the time this came out around the time like the big bang theory came out Mm -hmm. and so people didn't have a whole lot of exposure to what those people were like. And to be fair, I mean, I think the Big Bang Theory sucks, but, you know, that's just me. Uh, but, and I'm glad that this show kind of took a different draw on that. But for what it did do, there was sort of, a, it did kind of expose to some of those, I mean, almost caricatured uh, versions of what people are like going to those kind of things to give people some familiarity. Mm-hmm. And they got to laugh along with it uh, a little bit. Like some some of it, I don't think anyone that was probably too nerdy watched it, maybe they did. Uh, but, you know, it's giving an insight into what that kind of looks like. I think this show, I think the Guild was a lot more accurate for that time period. Because you're right, because now you've got people that make their mm-hmm. entire fortune off of going to conventions, dressing up and cosplaying. They probably don't play any of the games. Some do. Yeah. But you, like, it's mm-hmm. just to be part of that event now is a significant thing. And so there's people that have derivative businesses based on that. Back in the day, these things were a lot a lot more about sometimes more about the business and more about the mm-hmm. it's almost like a nerd swap meet for the most part yeah um with no, completely for your shows coming in yeah and now it's like a, yeah. it's like a spectacle mm-hmm. well like like nowadays like you've got people who are basically going into modeling careers because of comic-con where mm-hmm. they're just trying to show off whatever latest cosplay based off of what's the most like what's new what's popular right now and actually, even looking just at that, one thing this show really did, especially in the the convention season, is really show like the different sides of people at conventions pretty well. And they they would do things like subtly, like parts where like you see uh, like Tink runs into someone else who's dressed in like the uh, the slave Leia outfit, the slave Leia like metal bikini, 
and someone because Tink is shorter, like the other like like cosplayer, like makes fun of her for being too short for the role. Like like she plays on the whole like uh, aren't you short too short to be a stormtrooper sort of thing. And then Tink immediately fires back with I made my costume. And then the, that was a huge like stab to the person who just had something that was store bought. So they would do things like that. There were actual arguments back then, and still are to a fault now yeah. among cosplayers. But it was, you know, a great like show into that like view into that world of what it was, and to you know many degrees what it still is to be there. And I also like Nate like what you talk about how this was kind of like a more accurate representation of this nerddom than like big bang was i think it's because what like big bang's biggest disservice it did is that when you look at its main cast of characters they're basically the same thing it just magnifies like you've got like wallowitz and leonard more or less the same person except wallowitz is a little more of a womanizer and then kuther polly is the same as those other two but he just doesn't know how to talk to women at all so he just gets quiet around them and you magnify even more to sheldon who is like the stereotype of the stereotype like it's magnified in like this is what the worst of the stereotype is going to be to the point where their characters are almost more like you could criticize and say it's more like of a blob and like you just kind of separate into parts and it's all kind of the same whole. Whereas when you look at the guild, they're all very, very different nerds and their own form of like awkward to each other, where you can't really say that there's like too much overlap among all of them. I think the other difference is is that compared to Big Bang Theory, it seemed like the income portion of that show, other than Penny's was just taken care of. In, in this show, that seems mm-hmm. to be an ongoing issue for several of the characters of, how do I make any money? Do I have any money? You know, how do I keep playing mm-hmm. this? Like, everyone is poor on that, except for, what, like, maybe one or two characters don't really have a stable situation. And yeah. Clara, her husband's paying for it all, so it's like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it just seems, it's more accurate to what we knew. Is that There has to be a certain kinds of people that have the time to pay to these kind of uh, nerd nerddoms or or uh, mm-hmm. fandoms that, that you're part of and uh a lot of times it takes precedent over everything else um so yeah and to also build on that point it you also get to see who else is playing the game outside of the guild because we get to run into will oh, Wheaton's yeah. uh inverse of, will Wheaton. yeah will Wheaton. axis of yeah. yes yeah. yes the, mm-hmm. the axis of anarchy that is the opposite of the knights of good and so you get to see that power <laughs> dynamic and how it works because mm-hmm. up until that point, it's like, yeah, we know that the guild plays the game a lot. We don't know if they're actually very good at it, right? And so mm-hmm. the, yeah. the the axis of anarchy is like the top-rated guild in the game. And, and then when that, that collision happens, we get a lot of good comedy out of it. Um, one, of course, I'm not going to ruin this one, is when uh, Vork gives the explanation of the evolution of humans forming lines and how it evolved over thousands of years, um, <laughs> which I really hope that's another Jeff Lewis like improv moment because it was just so damn funny. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but yeah, you get to see how the other side lives, and these people are actually, you know, somewhat successful. There's like a professional gamer, there's a cop, you know, and so like they're they're making money and living the good life while the other side isn't and i and i think that yeah. was a really strong thing to do because it drives like the majority of like the next uh, after the first like season the next like two so it was it was just hilarious and i and I that's a familiar concept to us too though I mean, that was a familiar concept to us too playing guilds is there were several guilds that were much better than ours 
And so they people would hop guilds back and forth, and you felt betrayed because some joined. Was it we had? I forget what ours was, the Ignorian Knights or something. And there was like the Legends of the Third Age, and people would jump back and forth. Then there was like a takeover, and so everyone left. And it was. I mean, it's kind of stuff that you go through when you're online, and it, and it's all based on that. Like you take real offense to these things, and you realize like these people in their in their ordinary lives are probably pretty either nondescript or very very shy. But like in in these worlds, like they are, they're major players, mm-hmm. and then and then and they get a little arrogant. I'm sure in real life, if they were ever to meet you, be like, oh yeah, you know, we have much better it's, guild than yours, much higher ranking. Do you have your guild is, house yet? It, well, exactly, and and that's what I think. Once again, this is an important look in at like the state of gaming that people may not have been familiar with. Like even if you were kind of nerdy, geeky, and you you maybe collected comic books or maybe you played video games, but you had never seen this before. Like, like this was this was a great look into that because it did exist. Like, whenever you see, like you guys mentioned this on um, Big Bang Theory, like th- there's things in there that they might be true, but it's so satirical and it's so poorly played out that you're mm-hmm. you're, you're not actually laughing. That's why they put a laugh track on that show. When you see oh. how these dynamics play out, you're actually laughing at it. It's, it's actually funny what they end up These doing. are real things that happen. Like when Tink had that item taken from her because her internet connection went up. That has happened to us before, and everyone gets pissed off because you spent three hours down in the rift waiting for a piece of armor. And then you drop out, and then somebody else gets it because no one wants to wait. Or you're part of another – you're like doing like a, a, a raid or something with another group. And they're like they're, – they're, they're copping out. They're taking all the stuff. Or, so you're getting really pissed off? Or like Clara, and you didn't realize you didn't have enough points to bid on something. And you're just oh, like, yeah. are you shitting me? You know, I've been playing like, for like 20 <laughs> hours and I forgot this. The, all those things actually happened in MMOs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I still can't believe how mm-hmm. how much history could be told within MMOs that uh, was topical and very popular at that time and isn't now. Yeah. And it's nice, it was nice to see someone write that common experience out for us, for us to laugh at ourselves because it's something we'd seen, but also to kind of expose everyone else to a culture that they're not familiar with. And they probably didn't even mm-hmm. know existed. Yeah. Which, which is kind of what I wanted to kind of wrap this up with, is to recognize this series for what it did. Now, that's, that's one of the big points here, is that as, as, a, as a comedy series, it is a time capsule for not just being like one of the first web series, but also kind of explaining what the internet was doing at that point in time, whether it was the MMO side of it, whether it was YouTube and what kind of culture was being built, you know, with on-demand videos, because a lot of it was in its infancy. And so uh, I can't think of many other shows that can claim that. I mean, what do you guys think? Well, as a um, final distribution platform, mm-hmm. there's some shows now that started on, I mean, the Cobra Kai started as a YouTube red show mm-hmm. and then broke out and now it's huge on Netflix. Like it basically, it showed that that was a viable medium. Um, and honestly, these are free. So you're going to get an inbuilt audience as soon as somebody finds it interesting. So like, I think it kind of changed the dynamics of maybe instead of the traditional production advertisements or someone pays for a script and views this is now like all about how many people see it you know uh you start to look at metrics and things and start to pay people based on the Mm -hmm. kind of ad revenue they bring in because nowadays yeah there's millions of web series 
there were there were very few back in those days but now i mean you can't get away from them they're still having a little yeah. bit of a hard time i think getting the same level of credibility as like a major production show but the content is the mm -hmm. the level of the content um is there and this was one of the ones that really did sort of from the very humble roots build up to that uh, that sort of level of really high quality entertaining content that was just distributed in a format that wasn't well understood at the time. So, yeah. And then shortly, I mean, actually, it was, I think, still during the time this was in Vegas and you had the big writer's strike in Hollywood. So mm -hmm. we had that point where there we were out a lot of our mainstream entertainment. And sadly, that's also when crappy reality television really started to take off. Um, at the same time as like the web space stuff. But I mean, this is also like because of how well the guild does during this time, you also get things like Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, which has Felicia Day in it as well, alongside Nathan Fielding and Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, and that was one where it released like in, you know, in a semi-regular schedule. Uh, you could go onto YouTube, watch it, or you could see it from like a website specific to uh, the sing-along blog, uh, like the guild. And it was, you know, a great way to get people medium, uh, get people media in a time where it wasn't like we didn't have a lot of new things coming out because of a writer strike. Um, and it showed again that like you could use this as a successful way to get your to get your product out there. And oh, Doctor also, also won an Emmy, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It also so inspired, it, I mean, other shows to take on this exact topic. I mean, we think about Make Love, Not Warcraft on South Park, <laughs> yeah. which mm -hmm. showed exactly the same thing. Like, the, the guy at home is probably the one that's, like, leaned over on his keyboard yeah, on there for chips. 12 hours a day and covered <laughs> chips. Like, that's, that, is, that, is a, that is a kind of player. I mean, everybody knew yep. who that person was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think someone cosplayed that at a San Diego Comic-Con before to the point where, like, he actually had... Like a setup where it was around him, where it looked like a desk, and he could lean and look like he was yeah. playing and everything. Mm -hmm. Golden. Yeah. Yes. Which, this is something that I, I do want to attribute to the guild, and, and I'll ask you guys your opinion on this. You know, we, we kind of started off with how nerds and, and, like, geek culture maybe was tapped into with, like uh, like, small products and stuff, but it was never mainstream, right? And I remember talking to my brother specifically about going, man, I wish there was a Ghostbusters line of figures that I could go buy that weren't the originals. You know, why can't they make mm -hmm. new ones that are more detailed, blah, blah, blah. That was kind of a consistent problem for quite a long time. But during this period when the Guild first came out, so from 2007 until its eventual end in 2013, I want to attribute a lot of the success of nerd culture and I'll give a little bit of credit to Big Bang Theory, not because I want to, but because of this tide mm -hmm. that began to roll because of these these properties, right? Because just think about yourselves. Like, how big of a shift did you see in nerd culture marketing, not just with Felicia Day's you know, Geek and Sundry that came out on YouTube as well, mm -hmm. but just overall? Like, how, like how much did that, that whole system change in this six-year nope. period? Marketing became a huge part of it now, too. You've got every single series that comes out now has extensive marketing to sell things. You got, everyone's got a pop vinyl. You've got entire chains that, mm -hmm. I mean, I think less, think geek to lesser extent, they're kind of fading out a little bit. But you've got entire stores like Box Lunch. It dedicates just to fandoms alone. I've been in there like six times in the last like yeah. eight months 
and you go in there and spend a hundred dollars a piece every time you go in there to buy a new backpack, a new shirt or something, you didn't, those mm -hmm. are things that were uh, niche items to buy online that you had to go and look for. Nowadays it's right there in the mall and people wear it all the time. It's a fashion. So, you know, I'm happy yeah. that this has been one of those things that's kind of contributed to more of it kind of coming out. Um, I mean, I, I can't mm -hmm. give all the credit to it, but there's been a lot of players in that field, but really it, it's, if you go even further back, it's taken these from the back rooms and evenings and nerdy places playing D&D &D to being popular, you know, well-received. And everyone likes to talk about Vin Diesel playing D&D. &D. I mean, it's it's not just for nerds anymore. I mean, also looking at this time, like, I know... I think we we also had, like, other really, like perfect storm scenarios happening around this time too where this is where the mcu starts with iron man so you get uh, a superhero movie that was well cast and well written and and not to say it hasn't obviously it's happened before like you had superman in the 70s batman in the 80s and we all like to forget about wesley snipes and blade when that movie like kind of i don't want to say single-handedly but had a huge hand in saving marvel when that when they were going bankrupt but like this was the first time you had like you know like iron man's there but then after the credits it's introducing thor and we're having this bigger thing happening uh in the background and setting up something larger so now we've got good writing and like good acting and a lot of other things like coming into play that make nerd culture or this geekdom just a lot more accessible or a lot more fun for people so that it gets a chance to shine because it was something that even if something did well, like uh, like Superman in the 70s, it wasn't necessarily cool to dress up like Superman and hang out with other people going up and dressing up like superheroes. But maybe it was cool for a couple of years to wear a Superman t-shirt everywhere you went. It wasn't as bad. So like this was just a part of a massive wave that really set off our modern day pop culture. And odd that you would mention the MCU because we also got a cameo from Stan Lee in this series as well. And for those of you who haven't seen it, go ahead and take a look. You'll see it. It'll be there. Can't wait for you to notice it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but hey, yep. with that, it's a good one. We do thank you. Yeah, we do. We do thank you as always for listening to Digital Dissection. As always, we appreciate everything that the Dissection Crew does for us week after week, as well as my brother Nate for joining us. Who He's done that many times, and we appreciate you being here. But hey, your support does Thanks go a long way. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Of course. Sorry. <laughs> but yes, your support does go a long I'm, way. We so, can bring back yeah. Bane voice anytime. Oh, I just, <laughs> it's, it should never have gone away. It really shouldn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, if you happen upon this show by accident, why not drop us a, you know, a review or comment on the show? Follow us, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And also, send us an email, digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you there, as well as your ideas and things we can improve upon, as you've done so in the past. And until next time, keep on dissecting.